this morning we wrap up our changes series. And in part one, we looked at the fact that we are a part of the family of God. We've been grafted into this new thing, this new family known as spiritual Israel. In part two, we learned that the way of the Lord is to enact righteousness and justice in the world, and that though Israel failed to do this, God has extended this mission to us, the New Testament church. Our creator has covenanted with us to bring about a new kingdom. And we ended last week with the understanding that God's love is a wrecking ball of equality breaking down walls and barriers of separation that the enemy has created amongst humanity. Throughout this series, we've consistently seen that God's word changes things. God's word changes things. And so now that we've looked at the themes of context and covenant, today we will turn our focus to conversion. Our scripture reading this morning came from Romans 2.11, and the New King James Version reads like this, for there is no partiality with God. Normally, I'm I'm quoting from the New King James Version. That's the Bible that, that I have, the translation that I tend to use the most. But I found that with this verse, with this verse, the language is a bit dated. And so I really appreciated the freshness that the NIV brings to it that says, for God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. Simply put, God sees no distinctions between skin color, cultural background, rich and poor, male and female, leader or lay person, or any other wall of partition. God loves us all the same. And I can think of no story where this comes out more forcefully, more clearly than in Acts chapter 10. And in the opening verse, we are introduced to a man named Cornelius. It it says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion. Now to lay some groundwork, we need to know a little bit more about Cornelius exactly who he was and why we should care. So who was Cornelius? Cornelius was the first Gentile convert to Christianity. And his story is the longest continuous narrative in all of the book of Acts, 66 verses. That is three times the amount of time that is attributed to Paul's conversion. Something tells me that Dr. Luke, in writing this, wanted us to see some importance in Cornelius and his conversion. Cornelius' story is also the most repeated story in all of Acts. Verse 1, it also told us that he was from a place called Caesarea. And at the time, Caesarea was the seat of imperial Roman rule in Palestine. And it represented the cultural, economic, and political dominance of the pagan power. The city was named after the emperor Augustus Caesar. And so for the Jews, just hearing this city's name was kind of like salt in the wound. 
It rubbed them the wrong way. It brought a level of disgust. And remember, all of Jesus's disciples, they came from this climate. They came from this culture. Every single member of the early Christian church up to this point are Jews. Jews. And they would have all adopted the the prejudices and the ideologies of the day, just like we have in ours. And to the Jews, the Gentiles were godless heathens, rejected and despised by God. And so in these Jewish Christians' minds, the wall of partition separating the Gentiles from God's blessings was still up. It was still fortified. So again, if we understand the context here, then we must understand that Cornelius himself embodied the very thing that the Jews loathed most. But check out Acts 10, verse 2. In describing Cornelius, it says that he was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave all gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Hold the phone here. Cornelius is not a Jew. Cornelius is not a Christian. He's a pagan Roman, yet we're told that he is devout. A devout man who prayed always. Who in the world is he praying to? Who is he praying to? You see, Cornelius had peaced some things together. He'd heard something over here about God. He'd heard something over there about what the God of Israel was like. But he knew nothing up to this point about the gospel of Jesus. So is it possible that God receives people that you and I cannot even fathom are on his radar? Obviously so, and I'm glad to hear all the amens because we find that in verse four, after the praying, an angel shows up. So the angel said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Wow, truth is important, but this man didn't have much of it, yet God could see his heart. He was praying in sincerity, and God responded to that humble prayer. Often, we get so caught up in wanting to have all the right answers that we forget that God isn't looking for that. God is looking for sincerity, because a sincere heart is an open heart, and an open heart can receive truth. Prayer also gives God permission to work in your life. You cannot have a strong Christian walk while also having a spasmodic prayer life. Don't discount the power of a simple, humble prayer. This man who wasn't even a Christian yet was placing an importance on prayer. While sometimes God's own people are placing prayer up on a shelf because we're too caught up doing other things. Prayer is important, but do we treat it as such? 
So Cornelius gets visited by an angel who tells him, you have been heard and seen by God. Then he goes on to tell him that he needs to set up a meeting with some, some guy named Peter, who's far away in Joppa. And this, dear friends, is a reminder of how important it is for us to pray specifically for divine appointments. The Lord, in his divine wisdom, brings those who are seeking truth into touch with fellow humans who know the truth. It's God's masterful plan that those of us who have received light should be the ones to impart it to those who are still groping around in darkness. And this is where the story takes a turn. Verse 9, we... turn our focus away from Cornelius and zero in on Peter. Peter is up on the roof of this house and he's, he's, he's looking out over the city and he's hungry. He's hungry. He dozes off and then God sends this mysterious vision to him. There's a, a sheet that descends, but the sheet isn't empty. Instead, it's filled with all these animals. And we're told that the animals are identified specifically as unclean and common. Unclean and common. Now, unclean animals were those that were unclean by their very nature within the, uh, within the, the Jewish Old Testament code. But common animals were those that became unclean by virtue of association. So you could have a clean animal that brushes up against an unclean animal, and now that clean animal is referred to as common. So God brings down these animals, and he knows that Peter is hungry, and it's as if he he asks the question, how hungry are you really, Peter? Rise, kill, and eat. And he does this three times, and Peter freaks out. No, Lord, I've never done this before. I've never eaten these things. But then God speaks and says, what I have cleansed, you should not call common. You see, God had set up a meeting. Peter just didn't know it yet. And while Peter's racking his brain, trying to figure out what this vision was all about, the two men who Cornelius had sent are now at his front gate. And Peter and Cornelius are about to meet. And the church is never gonna be the same. God needed to correct some issues with his church. He needed to break down more walls of division. And so he set up this meeting. And there's an interesting little tidbit in verse 23. It says, then he invited, Peter invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now, at this point, Peter has enough information to know that he's about to travel and meet with a Gentile. He's gonna go into the house of a Gentile. And he knew that this was going to anger his fellow Jews the Jewish believers, the Jewish converts to Christianity, the entire Christian church at this point. So he brings some other people with him as witnesses, as witnesses. You see, breaking down walls of division and separation is a community event, a community event. 
And I think that there's a lesson there about the importance of community in ministry. But I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna leave, leave that for y'all to, to ponder at a later time. And jumping into verse 25 and 26, as Peter was coming in, so he's, he's made the journey, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am also a man. So for the t- second time in the story, something happens and Peter freaks out. And technically, technically speaking, what Cornelius is doing here is incorrect. It's incorrect. But dear friends, is it possible that at some point in people's journey toward God, they don't have all the answers. They're still piecing things together, but their hearts are in the right place. Their actions may not comply with our rules, policies, or formulas, the things that exist in our heads, yet God senses the sincerity in their hearts. So even though they, what, what they are doing or saying is technically incorrect, they're still received by God. Now, consider the irony here. Cornelius's spiritual sensitivity and earnestness was in hard contrast with what the rest of the disciples were encountering in their evangelistic crusades amongst the quote-unquote religious folk. You might remember a story of a man named Stephen who was trying to share the gospel, and he got stoned to death. I don't see that same thing happening here with the Gentiles. Their response, there was a major contrast in their efforts concerning in-reach and outreach. And so Peter is now amongst a house full of Gentiles. And he walks in, and this is the first thing that he says to them, y'all. Peter, you know Peter, well known for putting his foot in his mouth. So Peter walks in, he's been welcomed into this home, and the first words out of his mouth, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one, when he says one, he's really, he's pointing a finger at everybody who's listening, of another nation. But, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. He got, he, he got the vision. It, it clicked. So Peter walks in and immediately says, um, you know how unlawful it is for me to be here with y'all, right? In another translation, it simply put, this is against our law. Yet God was the one who told Peter to meet with them, right? God was the one. So, dear friends and fellow Christians, sometimes our law is not God's law. Many of us take pride in rejecting the traditions of men, but we can easily find ourselves making our own narrow traditions that stifle God's bigger plan. We must be very careful that we don't find ourselves guilty of trying to force God into a box of our own devising or only worshiping a God that is made in our image. Peter is beginning to have this epiphany. And then again, 
this, this next verse, it just, it, it absolutely slays me. Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Some other translations pick up on, on the Greek word that is sort of forgotten in this translation. But essentially, Peter is saying, in truth, now I perceive that God shows no partiality. And I read these words from the mouth of Peter, and I'm left wondering. I'm left scratching my head. Peter, were you even paying attention during the over three years that you were with Jesus? Were you listening? Were you watching? After all of Jesus' teachings, all of Jesus' actions, meeting with the Roman centurion and healing his paralyzed servant, meeting with the, the, the Canaanite woman and casting the demon out of her daughter, spending time with the hated and despised Samaritan woman at the well. Peter, were you not paying attention? Now you get it? Now you get it? And isn't this Acts chapter 10? Doesn't Acts chapter 10 come after Acts chapter 2? Pentecost? And wasn't Peter, the keynote speaker, preaching the gospel, having 3,000 people baptized? You mean to tell me that there could still be racism in the church post-Pentecost? It took Peter coming face-to-face -face with this Gentile man, Cornelius, in order for him to get it. Luke is telling us, and remember, Luke was a Gentile convert to Christianity as well. But Luke is telling us in the book of Acts that this journey that we are all on, this journey out of division, hatred, animosity, and narrow-mindedness, it takes a while. It takes some time. People are very slow at getting the point. What this is telling us is that you can stand up and preach a sermon at Pentecost. You can stand up at the pulpit on a Saturday or a Sunday morning and preach the word. You can be leading someone in a Bible study. You can be claiming the name of Christian, yet still in your heart be harboring feelings of hatred, jealousy, racism, bigotry, and animosity. But as Peter was pointing these Gentile listeners, to Jesus as the only hope for sinners. He himself came to understand more fully the meaning of the vision that he'd received. And his heart began to glow with the spirit of truth that he was presenting to others. This is what we are reading in Acts chapter 10. So this question then pops up just like it will if you carefully read the parable of the prodigal son. It's sort of, you think you know who the story is about. You think you know who the focus is on. And we think that we are reading Acts 10 and we are seeing a conversion of this Gentile Cornelius, but what we're really seeing as well is the conversion of Peter, the man who was with Jesus, the man who preached at Pentecost he still needed to be converted. 
and this wild story. It doesn't end there. In verse 44, we read this. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Now, if you're a Bible student, you will know that up to this point in Scripture, that there is a specific formula that has been followed for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's preceded by prayer, by baptism, and by the laying on of hands. That's, that's the formula. But the Holy Spirit in this room, in this Gentile home, is sensing the sincerity in people's hearts. And the Holy Spirit is like, uh uh-uh, I can't wait for all of that. You mean to tell me that the Holy Spirit works in different ways, within different circumstances, with different people? Verse 45, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter. So the, the, the buddies that Peter brought along just to be witnesses, they are witnessing, but they're being changed too. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. These brethren that Peter brought with him were astonished as they witnessed this Gentile Pentecost. The formula is out the window. God is not bound by formulas and parameters. Again, we can't put God into a box. I love this quote from Rob Bell. He said, the moment God is figured out with nice, neat lines and definitions, we are no longer dealing with God. The Holy Spirit's coming was not dependent, in this case, on confession or the lapse of time. It was not dependent upon baptism and the laying on of hands. The Holy Spirit was poured out because there were hearts in the room and they were receptive. So after pouring out the Holy Spirit, the the brethren are astonished. And then Peter says this, can anyone forbid water? that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? I think, I think Peter might be talking to the Seventh-day Adventist church here. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Can anybody say hallelujah to this? Peter walked into a house with trepidation, letting everybody know this is unlawful what I'm doing. I'm I'm, I'm going out of my comfort zone here, but this is unlawful. Now he's staying for a few days. He doesn't want to get out of that house quickly. He's eating with them. He's spending time with them. They set him up in a room with a bed. What started with animosity and fear was changed by God's love, which is a wrecking ball of equality. The walls of partition, the the walls of division and animosity, we're seeing them start to crumble down. In her commentary on this story, Ellen White wrote, today, God is seeking for souls among the high as well as the lowly. There are many, like Cornelius, men and women whom the Lord desires to connect with his work in the world. Could it be? that there are many, many people in our communities today who are nearer to the kingdom of God than we might believe. 
Is it possible that in this dark world of sin that God has many precious jewels that he is desiring to guide to us so that we can open our hearts and share with them the good news that we have? Is it possible? And so while Peter was heading back home from preaching the good news of the first Gentile converts to Christianity, I imagine he had some time to process and to prepare for the hornet's nest that he was about to come back to with the Jews, the Jewish believers, his brethren, the church. In Acts 11, Peter comes back to Jerusalem, and when the Jewish converts hear what he has just done, they're angry. They're angry. They were concerned, offended, and surprised by Peter's quote-unquote lawlessness. They feared that his taking the gospel to Gentiles was presumptuous, and so they, they, they railed against him. They said, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? They met him with severe censor and shaming for preaching the gospel, y'all. And upon me rereading their reaction here in preparation for this sermon, it, it reminded me of this beautiful quote from the late Rachel Held Evans when she wrote, what makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. But Peter would not be shaken. He shared the entire story with them, going all the way back to the vision that he had on that roof in Joppa. And Acts eleven eighteen it says, when they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God saying, okay, okay, Peter, based on all of this context we now have, then we can now agree that God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Upon hearing the leading of the Holy Spirit, the brethren were silenced. And they too were now having the same experience that Peter had. They get it. They get it. They saw that their prejudices and exclusiveness was in direct contradiction to the spirit of the gospel. Thus, the walls of division and prejudice were broken down. The exclusiveness by the old customs were abandoned. And the way was open for the gospel to be proclaimed to the whole world. Yes, including the Gentiles. And then the rest of the book of Acts, it repeats this concept. Paul and Barnabas, they invoke the prophecies of Isaiah that we looked at last week in order to legitimize their ministry to the Gentiles. And then Acts closes in the 28th chapter by telling us that the gospel has gone to the world and to Gentiles. And in landing this plane, I... I want to ask, why would God go out of his way to even bring Peter into all of this? Couldn't he have used the angel that he already sent to Cornelius to explain to him the story of the cross, the plan of salvation? Well, yeah, I mean, God could have done that. But God's plan includes all of us, the preachers and the hearers. 
He decided to send a messed up man like Cornelius himself, a man who was subject to human frailties and temptations to tell him of the crucified and risen Savior. As his representatives on this earth, God doesn't choose angels who have never fallen, but human beings, men and women of like passions, the same as those they seek. Even Christ himself took on humanity in order to reach humanity. So the book of Acts ends with chapter 28, but I heard Pastor Harvey Gill say something this this past week at Parkview, and it really stuck with me. I've heard this before. I've read it in a couple places, but because I was preparing for this sermon, uh, it, it really got its hook in me. And he said, the book ends with chapter 28, but chapter 29 is the chapter that we're all still writing. God is still merciful with his own church. And though we often fail, lose the vision, get distracted, God is still wanting to use us to share the good news with the world. Now I leave you with this sobering reminder from the opening paragraph of the book, The Acts of the Apostles. The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for service and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. From the beginning, it has been God's plan that through his church shall be reflected to the world his fullness and his sufficiency. The members of the church, those whom he has called out of darkness, amen, into his marvelous light are to show forth his glory. The church is the repository of the riches of the grace of Christ, and through the church will eventually be made manifest, even to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, the final and full display of the love of God. And it starts with how you treat people, how you treat people, how you look at people, how you think of people. In a world that is so full of hatred, we can respond with love. In a world that is so overwhelmingly mean, we can respond in kindness. In a world that leaves so many feeling rejected, we can respond with acceptance. There's a place for you at this table too. My hope and my appeal is this. As busy and distracted as you surely are, we're all busy, we're all distracted. We're all weighed down with many, many things, but we have got to make more room for the great commission in our lives. So I want you to do this. Take out your phone, take out a piece of paper or a pen, and I want you to take a picture of this next slide that I'm going to share or write it down. Simply just just a few prayers. I want you to make space in your life for the Great Commission, and I think that it starts with just being willing, willing to admit it and ask for God's help. So take a picture of this. Yeah, you got, you got two screens today, two to choose from. This one's only here for a time. The, 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 the original one's coming back. <laughs> but it, it's simply this. Pray these prayers. Lord, please Help me remember that your church was organized for service and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. Second, 
Lord, please break down any walls of division that may still exist in my own heart toward other people, toward your children. And finally, Lord, please give me divine appointments so that I can share good news with those who are searching for it. Could you imagine what could happen if only half of us prayed these prayers every single day? Could you imagine what it would look like, what could happen if only some of us prayed these prayers once a week? If God heard and answered Cornelius's sincere and humble prayer, then he will hear and answer our prayers too. Before we have our closing prayer, I was going to invite Rex. I don't, I don't see Rex. Do I have another elder that would be willing to, to walk up here for, for prayer time? <laughs> we have people leaving. I think they're going to try to find Rex. But regardless of whether it's, it's Rex, Lonnie, Lonnie is here right now. Thank you, Lonnie. I'm going to have the benediction. And, and those of you who wish can be dismissed after that. But I'm then going to step down here. I see Rex. Rex will come down here. And Lonnie, just stay up here too. We'll have, we'll have three, three different options. But if you have a, a specific request, a special request, some pain that is on your heart, and you need to talk about it, or maybe you have a praise that you would like to share. We would love to listen, to hear you, and to take that petition, that praise up to the throne of God with you. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to remember that your church was put together. It was organized for service to the world, and that our mission is to carry the good news out to everyone. Lord, we also pray that if there are any walls of division or hatred or separation that might still exist in our own hearts toward your children, toward other people, we pray that you would break those walls down. And Lord, we also pray for divine appointments. Cornelius praying. He wanted to know more about you. He wanted to know what this good news that he kept hearing whispers about, what it was all about. But Lord, you connected him with Peter, who had that good news. Lord, we have good news. We know about salvation. And we have the opportunity to bring people to Jesus. So Lord, we pray that you would use us, that you'd give us those opportunities. If there are people searching, we want to meet with them. And so, Lord, we give these prayers to you. And I pray that it's not just right now that we are doing that, but that we would remember these words that we wrote down, remember this picture that we saved in our phone, that we would put a little heart on it so that it's easy to find, and that we would start to pray this prayer consistently and with sincerity. Lord, we need to be changed. We need to be converted just as much as the world needs to be converted. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that in our hearts. And now, we just want to give ourselves to you completely because that's what Jesus did for us. And we ask this all in his precious name. Amen and amen.